How many of y'all have been paying attention to the crime statistics in our country lately? Y'all, this crime crisis is kind of getting a little bit crazy. And it's gotten so crazy that the crime crisis is beginning to take a prominent place in some of the presidential platforms for 2024. Uh, it's getting real, y'all. I, I remember a time when most states were, quote-unquote, getting tough on crime. Y'all remember that? Uh, many states had even passed a uh, three-strike law for repeat offenders. It basically said that if you commit three crimes in a prescribed period of time, you off to prison, dude. But in our day, it seems like we're constantly hearing of repeat criminals being released uh, within hours of arrest with no bail and a criminal's promise to return to court. I got to tell you, I'm a little sick of that. I'm a little sick of that. I mean, who is in control here? Is it us or the criminal? But that's a question we're going to hear a whole lot more in the years to come if our country doesn't change and begin doing something about lawlessness. But for Christians, the question, who's in control here, is a very simple question to answer. We know that regardless of what it may seem like, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is the Lord. God is the boss. And God is subject to no one. He is absolutely independent of every other being. God does as he pleases. He does only as he pleases. He does wherever he pleases. He always does as he pleases. And he will forever do as he pleases. No one can hinder God or hinder God's ultimate will from being unfolded. God is sovereign. And God is in control of the entire universe. And at some point, we human beings better learn that. Amen? Because God is sovereign, He is the highest authority in the universe. Now, the Bible often presents God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as such, God does as He wills, both in heaven and on earth. But when we think of that word sovereign, a lot of times we connect it with being a king. Now, earthly kings, they demand loyalty for their good. But our heavenly sovereign king doesn't force us to be loyal. No, he instead desires our loyalty because God knows that in that relationship, we experience our greatest blessings. In Psalm chapter 24, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. In Psalm 103, we're told that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. In Psalm 135, we're reminded that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Somebody say amen. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does both in heaven and on earth. However, 
just like people don't like to hear preaching about sin, they also don't like hearing much preaching about the sovereignty of God. And I wondered why. Could it be that sin and the sovereignty of God are somehow connected? I think so. I mean, think about it. If you're not submitted to the Lord of the universe as your sovereign king, then you're probably not going to obey his will either. But don't be deceived, friend. God is in charge of the world, and to him, every single person will give an account one day. I remember reading about the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said these words. He said, men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Men and women will allow God to be everywhere, but rightfully on his throne. In short, Spurgeon was saying, man will let God form the heavens and the earth. Man will let God rule the stars and the planets. Men will let God create and sustain mankind for generations, but put God on the throne. And his creatures begin to rebel. Put God in his rightful place on the throne. And people will begin to reject him. And will refuse to obey him. For you see. A God on the throne. Is not the kind of God that most people want to love. People don't like to hear. That they're not in charge of their own lives. People don't like to hear that they're not in control of their own lives. And in a time where people kind of set themselves up to be little gods, they plug their ears when they hear somebody talking about the sovereignty of God. When these little gods begin to promote the murder of unborn children, when these little gods attempt to abolish marriage and the nuclear family. When these little gods try to normalize sexual perversion and transsexualism and pedophilia. What they're really doing is they're trying to usurp the authority of our most sovereign God. God says one thing, people say another. God says, this is how it must be. And people say, sorry, God, we prefer to do it this way. We don't want anybody ruling over our life. But I think the world ought to take a little step back. And in the words of Dr. Phil, we ought to ask ourselves, how's this working out for us? I mean, what successes do people have by rebelling against the sovereign will of God? What success can we claim by rebelling against God's right to rule over his creation? The obvious answer is, is that people had not done a good job at all. Our world is tainted with poisons. Our world is tainted with cancer-causing substances. 
The threat of world war is still as prevalent as it's ever been. The global economy is insecure at best, a hot mess at worst. Nuclear weapons that can end the world as we know it are in the hands of unreasonable people who are just itching to start a fight. It's like we're headed to a real bad place and we're picking up speed. Of course, Christians who know their Bible, we have an advantage, don't we? We know that time and time again, people have rejected God. They have ended up in a bad place. They have come to their senses. They have returned to the Lord. They have repented of their sins. And they have acknowledged God's rightful place as the sovereign king of the universe. Whenever people have ever tried to assert their control, they've been repeatedly defeated by the sovereign plan of God. I'd like to share with you a little story so that it might help you understand the sovereignty of Almighty God. About 11 years ago or so, Janet and I were blessed to take a cruise to Mexico. And we departed out of New Orleans, and thousands of people boarded this huge, gigantic ship. Each one of those people, including us, had our own sovereign agenda. Man, every passenger had plans for dinner, plans for lunch the next day. We all had sights to see when we got into Mexico. Every single one of us had dreams to make. But guess how much control me and Janet had over that ship? None. We didn't have any control over that ship. The captain was in charge. The captain was was the one who was in control over where that ship went and when that ship left. But Janet and I, in our own little cabin, oh, we prepared for dinner. We prepared our own agenda, and we acted like we were in control. But we learned that where that cabin goes is exactly where the captain wanted it to go. Wherever the captain pointed the ship, the hundreds of cabins on that ship and the thousands of people on that ship went. So who was really in charge? Obviously, it was the captain. Friends, today, in similar fashion, I want to point out to you three ways that I believe Christians should respond to the sovereignty of God. Very quickly, beginning with this, as Christians, we should revere our sovereign God. I want you to think for one second about who is your favorite living president of the United States. Keep it to yourself. Your favorite living president of the U.S. Now, I want you to imagine me coming up here and telling you that your favorite president has arrived outside, and he wants to come in and worship with us here at Bethel. I would say that you would probably, uh, as he entered, you would rise, and you might give him a good applause, 
right? And you would pay him the respect that is due his office, and you would try everything you could to make him feel welcome. Friends, if we would afford a president, a frail and sinful human being, that kind of respect and honor, how much more honor, how much more reverence should Christians afford the ruler of the universe? How much more respect and honor should Christians afford to Jesus Christ? Who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I mean, when we begin to know God in his sovereignty, we'll begin to have this renewed sense of awe and respect and honor and reverence for our God who is sovereign over everything, everywhere. Sir, are you a God-fearing man? Ma'am, are you a God-fearing woman? We don't hear Christians being described that way much anymore. But listen to what Proverbs chapter 1 tells us in verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It goes on to say in Proverbs chapter 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Friends, I believe that there is a direct connection between our degenerate culture and the lack of reverence for Almighty God. And so if you're a Christian worth your salt, you should be viewed as a man or a woman who fears God, who reveres God. Really, it's one of the only ways to properly respond to the sovereign ruler of the universe. But that's not all. As Christians, we should also obey our sovereign God. I remember back in February, we were teaching our CIA kids about the plagues that God sent on Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. But before those plagues began... Moses and his brother Aaron went to Pharaoh to deliver a message from our sovereign God. And that message was simply this. Let my people go. I bet Pharaoh looked at those dusty, stinky shepherds and said to himself, Who do you think you are telling me to release my property? And here's how the Pharaoh responded. He said, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now, in Pharaoh's defense, he didn't yet know Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. He had not been introduced to the power of the sovereign God of the universe. And so you can kind of understand why he answered disobediently. I mean, consider it this way. How would you respond if somebody came to your door and said, In the name of the God Hassenpfeiffer, I command you to refer all your property to me. Well, after you slam the door, you'd probably call 911, right? Amen. That's what I would do. 
But I mean, if someone doesn't know that a God or a ruler is real, then they will likely not obey him. But if somebody does know that a God is real, if someone does know that a ruler is real, then you would expect that person to obey immediately, wouldn't you? Well, given the fact that Christians profess to know the one and only true God, given the fact that Christians acknowledge that God alone is sovereign, wouldn't we expect Christians to obey God instantly? Everybody nod your head like this. That's exactly what we're expected to do. Any Christian who believes in the God of the Bible, any Christian who believes in the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, any Christian who believes that this God is the true sovereign, will immediately obey him just because of who he is. I believe we ought to get to it. When God says, I want you to communicate with me. I believe we ought to get to it when God says, I want you to pray. I want you to speak with me. I believe we ought to get to it when God says, I want you to read my word. So that you'll know what I want you to do. So that you'll know how I want to use you. I believe we ought to get to it. And not only revere our sovereign God, but also obey our sovereign God. But lastly, today, as Christians, I believe we ought to worship our sovereign God. In Psalm 86, in verse 9, David wrote, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You alone are sovereign. Now, the last dream that King David had for Israel was that he would build the temple, the temple of God in Jerusalem. But God came to David and told him that because he had shed much blood in countless wars, that David would not be the man who would build the temple, God's temple of peace. He just shed too much blood. David was brokenhearted about it, but he obeyed God's word, and instead he began to prepare his son, his son Solomon, to build the temple in Jerusalem. David figured, if I can't build it, then I'm going to be the chief fundraiser, I'm going to be the chief provider for the temple. And in 1 Chronicles, in chapter 29, I'm going to give you a quick summary of how it went down. In verse 1. Furthermore King David said to the whole assembly. My son Solomon. Whom alone God has chosen. Is young and inexperienced. And the work is great. Because the temple is not for man. But for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God. I have prepared with all my might. Verse 3. Moreover because I have set my affection. On the house of God. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders and the captains and the officers, they all offered willingly. 
And they gave to the work of the house of God. And whoever had, gave. And then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. You see, friend, not only did David give generously himself, he also led the campaign to gather all the materials, to gather all the resources that would be necessary to build that temple for God. And then after gathering it all together, all the materials, all the resources that would be necessary, you know what David did? He worshiped God. He worshiped the sovereign God. And here's how it went down in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before the whole assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, the sovereignty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. Sovereignty, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign, sovereignty, over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you. And we praise your glorious name. But David said, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. David recognized that everything from every person came first from the hand of the sovereign God to whom everything belongs. couldn't worship God in building the temple, then he would worship God in providing all the resources necessary, and then he would praise God for giving it to him. Worship. Reverence. Obedience. Three ways that Christians should respond to the sovereignty of God. But maybe you're still a little like Pharaoh. You don't really know the sovereign God that I've been talking about today. Or maybe you know him, but if you're honest, you haven't been responding to him the way he desires and deserves. How is that? Jesus said, I am the way he desires and deserves. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the sovereign father but through me. You want to know this sovereign God I've been talking about today? Then you need to come to him today through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's will for you. My only question is this. What is your will for you? Is it serving your sovereign God for all eternity in heaven? Or is it being separated from him for all eternity? 
in a horrible place called hell. What is your will for you? We know what God's will is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being so sovereign. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for reigning over all. Thank you for being all-powerful, God. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you for revealing that to us this morning through your word. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that it would be every person's will here and listening in that they desire to serve their sovereign God in heaven for all eternity. Lord, the alternative is not very appetizing. Father, we submit, yield, and relinquish the entire control of our lives to you. And I pray if there is even one that says to him or herself, it's high time. It's high time for me to devote myself to my sovereign God. I pray that they would do that today through the only means you have provided, and that is through Jesus Christ, through faith in his name, through faith in his blood to receive the forgiveness of sin. And Father, we're just going to praise you in advance because, Lord, as you have spoke to me all week about your sovereignty, surely you have spoke to somebody here this morning. We praise you and thank you in the mighty name of your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.